Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. Today's episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. The demands of HR and payroll are endless, and that's why Zenium provides a complete solution for both so you can focus on what you do best, which is growing your organization. Learn more about Zenium at zeniumhr.com. Communication breakdown is a real problem in the workplace. And where do leaders and team members begin when it comes to clarifying the needs and addressing conflict? Sometimes they just don't know where to start. So according to Tim Franz, my guest today, the workplace covenant is a time test method for merging the obligations and expectations inherent in any workplace relationship. And when you implement the workplace covenant and you revisit it frequently, this method results in fostering meaningful partnerships at work. You're going to really love this episode. I really enjoyed my conversation with Tim. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with you there. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. Tim, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. We're going to talk about your book, Meaningful Partnership at Work. And let's start with this. So you wrote that many employees at all levels finish work feeling unsupported, unappreciated, and, and really just frustrated. What do you think the main problem is in our workplace right now? Well, right now, it's that a lot of people, I think, especially leaders in organizations, just aren't listening to the people on their team. And they try to listen, they partially listen, but they're really listening to respond instead of listening to hear, listening to understand, listening to make sense, listening, deep listening for the feelings and ideas and issues that people are having. It's so common for people to leave organizations because of their relationship with their leader, their direct supervisor. Yeah, we hear that so often. And it's it's weird that it's not sticking for some managers to like wake up and say like, okay, in order for this to work and not to have employees bail on me, I, I need to really figure out how to connect with them at a deeper level. There's a, a funny little illustration. I think it's in the introduction of your book. Uh, it's depicting a manager on one side of a canoe. <laughs> so one end, and they're like, they're dumping buckets of water into the wherever they're at into the river or something and then you have three employees on the other side and the canoe's kind of poking down and they're sitting up there and they're saying something like well at least uh i don't have to do what my manager's doing or something like that and share yeah. maybe what that is illustrating or do a better job of describing <laughs> the illustration than i did yeah, i think people have a great picture now for this illustration and and, and brandon it, it's actually funny you bring this up now because i i was thinking about trying to describe this in my answer to the other question because it's the same problem and in that 
image that we commissioned to have written for our book. As you said, the manager is in one part of a canoe. The canoe is going underwater. The manager's bailing furiously. And there's three employees on the other side. And the, the exact quote is, good thing it's only our manager's problem. Uh, recognizing that they're <laughs> the all in the boat sink. together, forgetting that that's the whole problem. They're in the boat together. And though in this one, we've got the manager, the team leader, the, the organizational leader, whatever it is, bailing the water, this goes both ways. It could easily have been drawn the exact opposite with the three employees bailing furiously and the manager simply saying, oh, good thing that's their problem and not mine. And this is what Seth and I call, my co-author Seth, what we call the two-way street of frustration. The manager has things that they want and they need, and the team has things that they want and they need. And unfortunately, those needs aren't made explicit in too many organizations. Yeah. So there's obviously a disconnect between manager employees or manager and teams. And you're saying it's not explicitly stated what, what it is that they need to make sure that they work together as a team and, and maybe row the, the, the boat in, in, the, in the same way to get to their goals. You talk about this idea of a workplace covenant. How does it fit into this idea of meaningful partnerships at work? Well, the workplace covenant is designed to get people tracking together. And this is that ex idea of explicit. Right. Making things explicit. And really, we do use this analogy of two in the canoe several times in the book. And what, what the goal is, is that people are moving forward together, paddling peacefully, matching each other's effort, heading towards the same goal. That is absolutely what we're trying to help organizations with because so many people in organizations are dissatisfied, become disengaged, have that feeling of despair. And if that all continues, of course, they leave, they depart. What Seth and I call the four Ds of the problem that we're facing. Now, the workplace covenant is one tool that organizations can use to try to get beyond that and try to get people moving in the same direction, put them on the same page. You know, we have a lot of ways to say that so that they are connected and cohesive and coordinated and able to collaborate. And in a workplace covenant, the whole process is about taking those implicit ideas, those implicit expectations and making them explicit. And by the way, the model is a team leader and a team, but it, it could easily be two teams. Uh, Seth and I have done it with two different teams or within a team. But the idea is that the team leader lists their obligations to the team and their expectations of the team separately without the team. The team without the leader lists their obligations to the leader and expectations of the leader. And so now you've got these four lists lists of expectations and obligations. And the workplace covenant process is about merging these lists. So the leader, leaders go first, that's one definition of to lead. The leader talks about their obligations to the team. And then the team says, these are our expectations. Now, normally they're 70% overlapping. And 
the facilitator works to merge the expectations into an obligation list. So there's one set of obligations at the end that the leader has to the team. The leader signs it. Well, the same thing happens with the team. The team then has their list of obligations to the leader. The leader has their list of expectations. The expectations are merged into the obligations. The team has a list of obligations. All the team members sign it. And then this is something that can and should be used continuously in the future to give feedback, to give people guidance, to improve, to, to really continuously improve the workplace relationship and move towards that goal of meaningful partnership, the title of our book. So that sounds like quite a process. Does it involve a facilitator in, in developing a covenant at all times? Uh, that's a tough question <laughs> because the answer, my students, as you all know, I'm a full-time professor and do this other stuff on the side. Um, the answer, and my students always hate this, is always it depends, Brandon. So, <laughs> and I hate to say that to cop out so easily. You know, I feel like a politician right now. It depends, but it depends on the yeah. relationships, the experience, how well the people are doing. Um, certainly in some organizations, a facilitator helps. That facilitator could be inside the organization or outside the organization. I mean, Seth and I do this work, but honestly, in the book, we've given it away. We're not hiding anything. We're not giving little pieces and saying, oh, geez, now call us so you can do this. Oh, certainly we'd love you to call us. But <laughs> The whole process is there. There's the whole chapter based on the process of the covenant and how to develop it. So it's there. Yeah. And in the appendix, we give the slides for, you know, some slides, suggestions that you can use to deliver this. And so it's all there. So doesn't it external facilitator help. Absolutely. Now that I've said that, Seth and I just did a little project for, it's actually one of the people who did some of the work on our book where they read the book ahead of time and gave us some reviews and a video testimonial. And so we worked with that person's team and helped the team members come up with the background to their covenant. It only took us a half an hour and it was an ongoing relationship. We did it by Zoom. It was really quick. And then the team leader is a director in the organization. He just did the rest on his own because he's experienced at it. So can you do it on your own? Absolutely. In situations where there's tension, where there's been problems, it really does have, um, it helps to have that external facilitator come in and do the work. Whether it's external to the team, but in the company or external to the company, doesn't matter. And again, we give away the details. So you can read the book and get the book, read the book. You can figure out how to do it. Send us an email. All our information's out there. Yeah. So early in the book, you actually give several samples of how a covenant looks. And maybe for people that are listening right now and trying to have a, they're having a hard time maybe visualizing what it looks like. Could you just share how you might structure a covenant and maybe a couple bullet points of what it might say in each of the sections? Absolutely. So often, and every covenant is different, but often in a covenant, we'll see things like from the leader's perspective, prepare for meetings. And, you know, I'm a department chair and sometimes I wish that people would prepare for meetings. So it's a great thing to have on there. Or answer emails within a reasonable time frame, say 24 hours. Um, 
and bullets that you might see on the team's covenant are things like help us to develop, help us learn about what to do next, support us in front of senior management. Things like that really are often in the covenant. You know, we often see communication things too. Communicate more often, communicate about this. So that's usually both ways, as it should be, especially like now during a pandemic where we're still so many of us not seeing our teams as regularly. Uh, Even though I'm in my office, I don't see the other department members as regularly as I used to. Meetings are on Zoom, even though we all come in the office on and off. Uh, So in a time like this, it really does help to keep those communication lines open even far more than they were before. I imagine one of the biggest hurdles in in all this, uh, you have a broken relationship, develop a covenant because you know something's wrong and you want to uh, bridge that gap. Then you develop the covenant. How do you keep this top of mind and not like, okay, we're going to just jot down all the things that we want to do and then throw it in a drawer somewhere and, and actually not take action on it? Like, is there a good way to keep this top of mind? Do you review it during one-on-ones and team meetings to make sure that you guys are staying on the same page? Like, what what is it that you're doing to make sure that you're living the covenant? Well, the, the workplace covenant is a process, not a document. And so you create this initial document. But you said it, Brandon, you said it perfectly. You review it in one-to-ones, you bring it up in team meetings. So we have, a, a there's one CEO of uh, the U.S. and Puerto Rico high-tech company who he pulls it out every meeting, puts it in the front That's of the great. team and says, yeah. okay, how are we doing? And those reviews at that point, he's been doing it for years. He was one of the early adopters, probably 15 years ago. And he puts it in front of the team. They take two minutes and go over it. It takes two minutes. So over time, you get more experience with it. But yes, it is absolutely something that needs to be posted, revisited, uh, that needs to be talked about. And that's all the informal ways to do it. But there's also formal ways to do it which what we recommend is every three months or so to have a formal covenant review. Now, creating a workplace covenant takes two to three hours the first time, because as you said, especially when there's a broken relationship, it helps even teams without broken relationships do better. But when there is a broken relationship, it takes a little longer to build up that covenant. And then we recommend three months later, a review. That review, that first review usually takes almost two hours. But as teams get better with the review, as the leader gets better with the review, the time goes down. And by the third review, you know, you're talking nine months later, it's usually only a quick half an hour meeting. And then as they continue to develop those skills, by the way, back to that outside facilitator question, what we recommend is that the outside facilitator do the first, second, and maybe third review. But at that point, like any good organization development consultants, it should be turned over to the team, to the leader, to do it themselves. At that point, we're turning it over and saying, you know how to do this on your own. Keep doing it. So Seth and I just worked with a, uh, a group of cable splicers. These are people who work you know, with the high power cables and their company actually took the covenant, it was a peer covenant, how they would act in their relationship towards one another, and they printed it, made it look nice, put it on special cards. Everybody got a wallet-sized card with the covenant on it. So it's a way to keep it fresh, keep it going. And then the team leaders, the people leading that team can pull it out once a week and say, okay, how are we doing? 
it should be something on and on and on that is used regularly. Now, with the covenant, I guess what's not clear to me, it sounds like it's it's a, a team-wide covenant, but I mean, some of the examples in, in your book almost lead me to believe that it's almost, there, there could be a custom one from a, for a one-to-one relationship. But am I thinking about it the wrong way? Is it, is there multiple covenants or is it one for the organization? How would you describe that? You can have one-to-ones, but those are a little harder. I would imagine it's harder because everybody's needs are so different. So are we going to have like 25 different covenants? Yeah. And so generally the rule is the team and it's in general what the team has as obligations to the leader. And remember, it's focused on obligations and everybody's obligations. It's no longer expectations. Once those expectations are removed and merged, it's obligations and the team's obligations to the leader cut across everybody. You know, the, the idea of obligations are so that everybody, including the leader, feels supported at work and can be successful. That's the goal. That's what moves us towards that meaningful partnership, that two in a canoe paddling forward towards the same goal. Uh, so, yes, it is generally the team's covenant. But um, And the other reason you really don't want it to be a one-to-one is because with the numbers of the team, there's psychological safety. People feel much more willing to commit to these expectations and obligations when it's the team saying yes, it, not yeah. Fred or Wilma. I uh, get to throw in a Flintstone reference. Yeah. So. <laughs> <Love it>, <laughs> Fred it. or Wilma <laughs> saying it. So, <laughs> so yes, there's, there's more psychological safety uh, because it comes from a team as a generality. You said that ERTAP, which is E-R-T-A-P, it's the foundation for meaningful relationships. Uh, what does that stand for? And maybe just give listeners a kind of an overarching view of what ERTAP is. Sure. ERTAP is our model for how you get to this partnership and then really moving beyond this meaningful partnership. So ERTAP stands for empathy, respect, trust, alignment, and then partnership. And empathy, as you know, it's the ability to take the perspective for others. In our book, we define it as that profound appreciation for understanding others' perspectives, their challenges, and how they feel and what's important to them. Well, respect is when we see others as valid and legitimate work partners who deserve the rights at work that we would expect of our, ourselves and we would expect others to give to us and someone that we would work with willingly and cooperate with in order to get our job done. Trust implies having this high confidence in the people with whom you work. And beyond just confidence in the task, it also means that you trust them not to speak ill of you or do this emotional harm at work, which we see so often in any way. And then finally, Seth and I have been really excited about the work we've done with alignment. We've done a couple of research studies on this um, and have a measurement tool that, again, is free. Anybody can use it. Uh, we're giving it away. And it's psychologically, we've done the psychometrics. It's valid and uh, reliable. So alignment is when managers and the members of the team are moving in the same direction, have this cohesion and coordination that leads to a real strong level 
of team collaboration when working towards a common goal. And that all lands at this idea of partnership, the last partnership, working together two in a canoe where people have this elevated sense of working together towards a common goal where everybody feels supported and can be successful. It's not about a trust fall. It's about feeling supported in the work we do and being successful in the work we do. How can we be better at work? How does the covenant and ERTAP work together? Is one before the other? I imagine the covenant's built first and then ERTAP kind of nests underneath that. Like, how does it all flow? Well, what we describe it as is a mindset, a model, and a medium. So the mindset is moving towards creating meaningful partnership. So that's the overall mindset. And and I will tell you, Brandon, what's interesting is Seth and I, when we first started writing the book, we didn't have meaningful partnership anywhere in our early work. Uh, The book didn't have it as the title. The book didn't have it as a concept. And as we wrote, and I'm a big fan of this, you learn what you're thinking as you're writing. Sometimes my students say, I know what I want to write. I just haven't written it. I know how to say it. Well, if you haven't written it, you don't know how to say it. And from writing this book, we learned that the book was not about the Workplace Covenant. The book was not about ERTAP. The book was about creating this level of partnership where people feel supported and can be successful. And so the underpinning, the theoretical model is ERTAP, empathy, respect, trust, alignment, getting to the partnership. Now, uh, we, of course, think the Workplace Covenant is great. That's the best thing ever. You know, it's the best thing since sliced bread, of course. But it's a medium. Like any medium, it's a medium for getting to something. In this case, it will help organizations with ERTAP and create meaningful partnership. It's not the only way. There are lots of ways that organizations can do this. But our model does something different. Instead of most books out there, the leadership development books, Seth's expertise is leadership development. And we kind of joke with each other about this. The leadership development books say leaders have to do this and this and this and this. And I'm a team development specialist. And the team development people say the team has to to do this and this and this. Well, this model is not about team development or leadership development. It's about the space in between. The workplace covenant helps people to figure out what happens between the team and the leader. How do we get the team and the leader on the same page working together? And there are so many examples of so many teams, I'm sure that you've been on, that I've been on, where people aren't moving forward together. Instead, it's this state of a two-way street of frustration, which I'm sure so many of your listeners can feel. Oh yeah, absolutely. So if we know the goal is to have meaningful partnerships, getting people rowing in the same direction as you as you say, what evidence can you gather along the way that identifies that this model's working or not working? Oh, well, we do. This is evidence is, is my specialty. And that's what Good. I love the most. And so, um, uh, and, and, and we kind of joke in our book, and I can't remember exactly what we say uh, at the beginning of the chapter with the evidence. We, we jokingly say, if you like evidence, this is the chapter for you. If you don't like data, <laughs> just move ahead. <laughs> Skip this chapter. And we recognize that a lot of readers aren't going to read this chapter. And that's okay. The evidence is in there. So, First of all, there's lots of past research that shows that empathy, 
respect, trust, and alignment lead to the state of higher performance. When you get people working together as partners, it leads to this state of higher performance. Plenty of past research, and we do a quick summary. Uh, We pick three articles per domain or something like that and say, hey, look at these three articles and this team and this team and this group and this research. It shows this. So we give the past research. And again, this isn't a peer-reviewed academic publication. It's for people like you, like your listeners to understand very quickly. So they're quick summaries. But Seth and I not only look at the past research, we did the research. We did two studies. We had a pilot study and then we had a longitudinal study. So in our pilot study, we had a very small number of teams and uh, team leaders. And we looked at things like, do they have more empathy? Are they performing better? And our pilot study absolutely showed that things are better after a workplace covenant. Well, that pilot study was a very small sample. So Seth and I did a much more complete study, our longitudinal research. So what we did is we had eight teams with team leaders outside the team and team leaders in the team and then team members. So we had eight different teams with the managers, the team leader, and the members. And then we measured them before starting a workplace covenant process, two to three months later, four to six months later, then six to eight months later. And so three times. And then we, if you want to get into the fancy statistics, we tested this with a one-way repeated measures ANOVA across these. And the results were the same for all people, whether you break it down to the managers only, the team leaders only, or the team members only. The results were consistent across all the teams. And what we showed, and this was the fun work, alignment went up over time. Partnership went up over time. Team performance went up over time. And here to me is the most important finding. Conflict went down and stayed down. That's very positive right there. I imagine that there's times where there's challenges along the way, whether it's with managers, employees, or teams, maybe not in alignment. What challenges could people face along the way, even going through this process? Well, sometimes people and this is something we've already touched on, drop the ball. They create this covenant as a one-shot deal, thinking that's going to solve their problems. And that is not going to happen. It needs to be in on any efforts for continuous improvement, whether it's working on the soft stuff that's the hard stuff, really, or whether it's working on your, your line to get better quality. The goal is to continuously assess and intervene, assess and intervene again and again. And so if you don't revisit that covenant, it's not going to work. Revisiting the covenant, working on it regularly, bringing it up in the one-to-ones informally or once a week informally, and then doing formal reviews, that's one of the things that really will make the difference. So if you're going to do it once and put it in your drawer, don't waste your time. So now most of the time, The team members, and I will admit, we've done this a whole bunch of times, Seth far more than me. And let me give credit where credit's due. My colleague, Seth Silver, this idea of the workplace covenant was his. Um, And uh, many years ago, he brought me along and I really enjoyed the ride. And we've really developed the process and uh, honed it and made it better and done the research now together, all that's together. But the initial idea was absolutely his. And so we've done this with many organizations. And 
there are some organizations that embrace it right away, where they're moving their team from good to great in Jim Collins' language. Then there are other teams that they're adequate and they can move to good through this. And then, as you said earlier, they're the teams who the relationship is broken. And when that happens, it does take a while. It takes more time. And there was an organization that we just worked with over a three-month period. And the skepticism in the first meeting was astounding. But by the fifth meeting, we were really enjoying our time with them and having fun and joking around and yet developing them and reviewing the covenant and getting them moving forward. And we just met this week with the outside manager and the outside director and the team supervisors outside the team. And they all said, yes, everyone, all five people said, yes, things have gotten better in the past three months. So most of the time, things work that way, even when people are skeptical at first. But there are some times, and I think this gets at the heart of your question, rarely it does happen when the leader isn't ready to do it. The team isn't ready to take it seriously. And there is a situation, and I wasn't on this project. Seth talks about this. It was one of his alone, where one of the team members wouldn't sign the covenant. They said, I won't do that. I won't sign it. And I hate to say this, Brandon, but in three months, that person no longer worked there. I don't think it had anything to do with the covenant. I think the covenant was a symptom. Probably didn't like where things were heading or it was just not meant to be. Things were already going, yeah. Yeah. Everything was going in the wrong direction. And that was just another symptom of the problems that were going on. So each of your chapters has what you call a silver bullet, which is like, I think it's a big idea or a quote that you would obviously you want it to stick in in people's minds as they read the chapter. And there's one that I really liked and it kind of wraps up the book. You wrote that time will go by whether you do anything with it or not, end quote. But I imagine that you do want people to do something. So where do people like where do managers start with this? Like, how do you like what's the the first step in even going in this direction? Well, the first step is to I I hate to say it, but a great way to get started would be to read the book. And uh, as I've said, it's the information's in there. And a a friend of mine who's a, a VP in an organization just read it. And he said, well, I skipped a couple of chapters in the middle that talked about how to do it because I'm not going to do it right now, which is fine (laughs) because those are the practical chapters for a facilitator to use, not for a team leader. So uh, the book is, I think, very readable. It can be, I I don't know how long it took you, but I think it's a couple hours. It took uh, me, yeah, it was like, it was probably a little over, probably a little over two hours. (laughs) Okay. But it's it's a quick read. It's an easy read. And like I said, there's things that anybody can skip or not skip, depending on how deep they want to get into this. And then later they can bring it back up as a reference manual when trying to do this. So uh, a great place to start is to get the book because we do lay it all out right in the book. Uh, The process is in there. Of course, Seth and I both have websites. You know, he is a full-time consultant. We joke because he's a full-time consultant and part-time academic, whereas I'm full-time academic and part-time consultant. So, um, but he has a website that has a lot of good information about the covenant at silverconsultinginc.com. Uh, I have a website. It's teambuildingprocess.com. Uh, you can get information in there. Both of us are active on LinkedIn, and we post 
articles and ideas and podcasts. And so we keep our LinkedIn going. You can follow us on LinkedIn or link with us. I think both of us are public, so you can uh, you can connect with us easily. So My guest has been Tim Franz. He's the author of Meaningful Partnership at Work. Tim, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.